And we're off once again. Rogue Table Talks, number 88. Ocho, Ocho. That's probably not right. <laughs> oh, I feel like somebody was uh, Michael Irvin 88. He should have done Ocho, Ocho. 88. Ocho, Ocho. Here we are, bringing sanity yeah. in today's right. world. Right. <laughs> right. I didn't even remember there was an Ocho Cinco, right? Chad Ocho Cinco. Yeah. Chad Ocho Cinco. 85, which I don't think Ocho Cinco is actually how you say 85 in Spanish. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Maybe our vast listenership should, uh, you know, message us. And, I can't, uh, I can't think of 80 in Spanish. I used yeah. to could, but I don't. I think it's yeah. just 85. <laughs> yes. Right. So if they wanted to be technically correct, they should have put a dash in between the 8 right. and 5 on his Thank jersey. You. Cinco. Ocho. <laughs> but this is uh, Rogue Table Talks Ocho Ocho. Ocho Ocho. Ocho Ocho. Don't you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and we are uh, still living in strange times uh, where uh, the president uh, has been impeached for a second time. First time uh, I just read it's he's the first cast member of Home Alone 2 lost in New York to be impeached twice. <laughs> <laughs> He is in Home Alone 2. We see it every year. <laughs> it's He's hilarious. Right yeah. It's, and I, I, I think when I was saw that the last time, he was present. It wasn't that long ago. And all of a sudden, oh, Donald Trump strolls in <laughs> to the movie. Who would have predicted oh. at that point? It's a future president of the United States. Anyway. Oh. Um, well, amen yeah, and amen women. Yes, amen and women. So, um, <laughs> yes, we live in strange times for sure. Uh <laughs> And or times that uh, uh, should cause us to think, I think, and to evaluate and to be, uh, as we, I think, talked about in last week's or two weeks ago, to be uh, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, and uh, we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at a, an episode from uh, the Gospels. It's actually, this is in Mark 8. Uh, and it kind of gets to that, uh, this idea that, that we can often miss the point. Um, and, you know, I don't know, but I mean, <clears throat> there's probably like, do you remember times where you go, oh, I totally misunderstood that. I totally got that wrong. And it could be, you know, some trivial mm -hmm. thing. Um and the interesting thing about that is uh, you were living your life being completely wrong about something. It could have been, you know, I don't know, some song lyric or something. You've always sung the song lyric wrong, which I think all of us <laughs> probably do to some degree. You're singing it along and then you you realize five years later, that's actually not the lyric. Uh, it, you know, and but when you're doing it, you're completely wrong and you feel awesome. You feel completely right. You're confident. If somebody would say, well, that's the wrong song lyric, you'd say, no, it's not. You know, because you heard the song, you misunderstood it, but you heard it. And then you reinforce that understanding over and over again by like singing the wrong lyric in your head or whatever. Right? You, you've done this yeah. before. Oh, I, I've done that and I do it. And it probably is the most uh, obvious in my uh, marriage. And I will be wrong about something, but I'm very convinced that I'm right. Because for, for me and, and Courtney, that's when my, my walls are most down. I'm not trying to pretend to be anybody else. So I'm pretty convinced this is the way. I know the way this right. is right. 
and and the funny thing is, is, is maybe more people are hu- more humble than I am. But even when I get exposed as being wrong, I'll still sometimes argue like, "Ma, I don't believe that. I don't believe your facts now, <laughs> even I, though I know I'm wrong." Looking right at it, <laughs> I love I know I'm wrong, but I want to defend yes. my wrongness uh, because it's hard to deal with the fact. That, here's the fact. I was wrong for a long time and didn't know it and felt great about it. Yeah, right. we feel and foolish. Feels, uh, yeah. Right. yeah, oh man, what an idiot. Uh, and that's a hard thing to say. Oh, I was wrong about that. Um, and so, yeah, so that's the thing. It's not just, you know, exercises and missing the point or in being wrong. It's the sense of being confidently wrong uh, or missing the point completely or not understanding it. Uh, and so we're going to see that uh, here. In Mark eight, uh, and we're starting verse eleven. And so, just as as we look at these this passage, we'll, we'll break it up in a, uh, a couple of pieces. But um, the context here is this is after the feeding of the five thousand and after the feeding of the four thousand. Um, right after, uh, where you know, as Jesus takes a small amount of food, bread, and miraculously multiplies it. Uh, and, and everyone is satisfied and there's food left over. Uh, and so Mark 8, starting in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. So, okay, he sighed deeply. Yeah. Uh, so, so why did he sigh deeply? What do you think? What, I del- let's delve into that. Well, he, he's been known. He, Jesus has been known. Um, I don't want to say lose his patience, but he's been known to be frustrated, disappointed, uh, kind of mm-hmm. guys. We we've we've been here a hundred times. I, I don't, I don't know if you haven't got it now, I'm not sure what else to do for you, you know, type yeah. thing. And, yeah. uh, yeah. uh, I, he sighed deeply. I, I just think the level of, um, you know, w- whatever unbelief maybe he's interacting with cause he's, he's sighed deeply or, um, before, and it's mm-hmm. usually around something of unbelief with the disciples. Yeah. Like I, I, I yeah. don't get it how you don't get it. I don't get it. How you, and we're going to see that just in this following passage we're going to look at as well. Um, you know, but the rea- obviously the reality is the two gigantic public involving many, many thousands of people signs have just been done. And the Pharisees coming to test him, ask him for another sign. Uh, and this, and so the sense to me seems to be you've gotten sign after sign after sign and you won't see it. It's not for lack of signs or it's not for lack of your, you know, it's not like they didn't hear about that because uh, it just happened. And, you know, that's what it's one of this, these signs that were in all the, the synoptic, all the gospels, all four gospels. Um you know, it was a big, famous deal. In fact, after the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to take Jesus and install him as king, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to, um, and so they surely knew about that, but they didn't 
they didn't buy it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They didn't, they somehow discounted it, even though it was right in front of their face. And I think that's, you know, my sense of what one of the things Jesus is saying is you'll never get a sign, even though you'll get a hundred signs. Let's, I can, you know, this generation asks for a sign, no sign will be given to it. Um, you know, he does other things after this, which might be considered signs. And, but it seems like he's saying, you'll, you'll get a hundred signs, but you won't get any signs because you won't yeah. accept them as signs. You won't see them. They're right there, but you have closed your mind, your heart, your ears or whatever. And, uh, so I don't know. That's sort of what it feels I think like. So, I think signs, you know, we talked about this a little before signs in the gospel of John, but I think signs were intended to reveal something, but depending on um, the, the, the mindset or the posture of the person it's revealed to it, it will just reinforce something. And so, you know, if you think about what the disciples did with these signs um, we don't know this, but they put him in some type of category. You know, they put, they filed it away somewhere and it doesn't seem to be in a revealing sort of way, revealing a truth or a new idea. You know, I, I've found that people are often very, very afraid of new ideas. Um, they sound strange. They're threatening. Um, what did this do for the disciples and what category did they put it in? It just seemed to reinforce where they already were. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, maybe there's a deep seated grief from Jesus here. It's kind of like, you know, telling your significant other and showing them you love them and, you know, you're excited to be with them and then you do it several times and then they still question you at the end of the day, but do you really love me? Mm -hmm. And you just, it's a deep sigh of why don't you trust this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it in the in the sense that Jesus is coming to them and displaying the truth that your Messiah is here, which is good news, but they don't receive it as good news. They don't trust it. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I want to talk about or I've been thinking about um, since, you know, the, the events of last week and prior to is you know what goes into belief what things do we believe what facts do we accept or reject uh or what data do we accept as facts and what data do we reject um, because i do think that's part of what's going on in our country is two different people can see the same thing and and same piece of fact not like a philosophy or a strategy or a theology but a piece of fact and then interpret it completely differently based on their prior understanding. Uh, and I think, you know, the Pharisees had a prior, prior understanding of what the Messiah would be. Jesus wasn't that. Uh, and so that he was doing miraculous signs that should point them to the fact that he was the Messiah, they just wouldn't see. They wouldn't. They didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear, as Jesus often said. And so I think that's what we often do is we have an understanding, we have a belief, we have a narrative, which is impossible not to have. It's you know, we have to put things together in a way that makes sense. And then once we do that, we interpret all facts, all future facts, according to our narrative and fit them in. We interpret the fact in such a way that reinforces our narrative. 
and and ones that just conflict with our narrative we somehow explain away so we don't have to deal with them and so our narrative just gets stronger and so in a big picture sort of way it's very difficult to change your mind once about something you know it's not like uh you know i thought the capital of new york state was new york city but i i looked it up and it's actually albany that's that's an easier way to change your mind because what the capital of new york state is doesn't isn't key to your narrative and so the closer it is to your your narrative through which you gain your identity and your tribe and your belonging and your meaning and your purpose then the harder that is and of mm -hmm. course the pharisees their meaning their identity their tribe their purpose all revolved around the law all revolved around this certain picture they had of the messiah to say they were wrong about that almost feels like self-repudiation. I mean, it is in a sense self-repudiation, but it was a self-repudiation that was necessary, right? And they just weren't willing to do it. And so they've seen a hundred signs, but no sign, they won't see any signs because to them, they're never going to be signs, right? Yeah, you know well, it reminds me, yeah, totally. Um, so we're not talking about information or, or world facts necessarily, but we're talking about worldviews the way we construct mm -hmm. meaning in our minds mm -hmm. about the world, whether we're theistic or atheistic, there is God or a, some other force out there, or there's not way, the way we construct the story about ourselves, we are, you know, valuable or not valuable. We're a process of macro evolution, or we have been uh, created or somewhere in between. Um, and, and, and these, these things usually get constructed in such a way where they're self-serving in the sense of they protect me from something, something that I view as, uh, an, an enemy or a threat, or, um, if that is true, then that will cause me pain, any form of pain. Um, and so it's really difficult to, and, and, and the con or, or the byproduct of that is also my way is salvation. My way of salvation for the whole society, my way of salvation for the whole world. I'm not even talking theologically. I'm just talking, we construct our worldview in such a way where if people did it, had my worldview, mm -hmm. then it would be peace my for way. everyone. My way is the way of salvation for all. my way is the way of salvation. And uh, it reminds me very much of, uh, you know, Keller's, you know, prodigal God book of the, the uh, younger brother and the elder brother represent two ways of approaching life and of approaching God and salvation. I'm going to keep all the rules and we're going to do the right thing. Often you can be conservative and fall into this viewpoint, or we're going to, we're going to break the rules. We're going to, you know, um, press the boundaries and you mm -hmm. can often be more liberal and fall into that, but you carry both characteristics of both, but, but it's difficult. What you're saying is, I think is, um, once you construct this worldview and then you've been at this chap, this book, you've been writing the story and it's 38 chapters long. It's really difficult to change that. Yeah. Yeah. You've invested a lot of yourself into it and a lot of your self worth, self image, a lot of your relationships might be built around it. Um, yeah, my bro, I was talking to my brother uh, last night and he was talking about a story, he, some, some story he'd read of somebody who was sort of in the QAnon world and had to get out of it and got out of it. And he just said it was almost like a death. Like he didn't, then he didn't have any friends and he had to like reconstruct his life 
because he entered that world and everyone he knew talked to or whatever was one of these people. Um, you know, you talked about the prodigal story, you know, the prodigal son story. And I think that's a great example of the prodigal son, the younger son, think of what has to happen before he changes his mind. You know, he's lost everything. He's lost his friends. You know, he's estranged from his family. He doesn't have friends. He's out of money. He's feeding pigs slop. And, and that's when it came, he came to his senses, you know, it says, right. Um, which is a miraculous, you know, gracious process of, okay, wait a minute. Uh, this isn't working. Uh, you know, my plan a has not worked. Um, and so, but that's a hard thing and it often takes pretty hard things happening for us to do that. And, but in a sense on anything really important, that's necessary. It's, It's necessary for me to sort of abase myself and say, and come, come to my senses and say, I've been wrong about that. Or I've been telling myself without really telling myself, I don't have to forgive this person, but I need to forgive this person. Like I have to come at some point, I have to come to my senses and say, my lack of forgiveness is my problem and not theirs. Uh, which is a very obvious theological point that we can ignore. Like we're singing the wrong lyrics for a long time. Mm-hmm. in that case and feel great about it. Uh, and I just, you know, that's a sort of like repenting is what kind of what we're talking about. Like the younger son repented, turned around and went back home. And it's a painful, often self-abasing process of, you know, I was wrong. I didn't understand. I did this wrong, whatever. And in some areas of our, and more and more, I think our culture does not encourage that. It encourages once you get into this group, you know, you're this side of the political spectrum or this other side of political spectrum, the way you consume media, the more you click on you, the more of that you get to click and you just go deeper and deeper and you never even see the other side. Uh, And that happens both on the right and both on the left. And you're just very comfortable and insulated and reinforced, you know, in your view, like these Pharisees were reinforcing each other, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. one of them had doubts. The other one's probably like, no, right. Uh, And then to become a Jesus follower is to leave everything behind. And that's hard. And I think that's the same as true for us, right? Uh, We just ignore this stuff that should cause us to change our mind or to repent or to reevaluate and we just don't have eyes to see it or ears to hear it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I, uh, I sent you a couple of articles I'm using for a, a sermon this weekend, but I thought they were really fascinating. And, um, I'm talking about kind of our mindsets and the stories we tell ourselves, but both of them are different, um, you've probably heard of them, scientific researches, uh, research that talk about a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And, you know, there's two types of mindsets and a fixed mindset. Um, this is talking about self, but it's a belief that the ability of, is a fixed trait and can't change. A growth mindset believes that things are malleable and can change or can be developed. A fixed mindset is is kind of all or none. You're either smart and you got it or you don't got it. And a growth mindset says, 
well, I just may need to work at it. We just may need to work at it. And uh, it's interesting what you believe about that. Then what follows is the narratives you start to tell yourself about the world and about yourself for, for my purposes this weekend. Um, it's, it's interesting. If you think it's fixed and you're either smart or you're not, then you start to tell yourself, if you get a bad grade, well, I'm dumb. Therefore, I shouldn't try. And you can already see where these stories go. But I think it applies to our conversation, so to speak, like, because a fixed mindset would also determine the way you view mm -hmm. life or growth yeah. or yeah. relationships. Yeah. And it's the fixed mindset tends to be totalizing as well or absolutizing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's we tie everything together and it's all a package. And I think many Christians tie their faith and their political views and their cultural views all together in one package. And to question their politics or cultural views almost feels to them like questioning whether Jesus is really God or the Bible is really true. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we put them all on the same level. Uh, and I think that's, you know, it, those narratives are, were never meant to. It's, it's in other words, uh, there are certain faith commitments through which they're not provable or disprovable uh, necessarily that you have to have take a reasonable faith, but it's still faith that Jesus is God, uh, that he died for our sin. Uh, but that's a completely different level of narrative and self-understanding, or it should be, than whether the election was stolen or whether there was really 300,000 COVID deaths or whether masks work. But I think it's easy in our culture to put it all together. And we are the people who believe all of these things. And to question one of them seems to feels like to question all of them. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, no, these are the important self-defining things in my narrative. That I'm part of God's people. That I'm in God's church, God's mission. That Christ is my king. That my destiny is be Like, that's one thing. And then all this other stuff, that's negotiable based on facts and understanding the world. And changing my mind over here doesn't threaten this. And I feel like that's a lot of what people feels like what they do. That's all together. And it's a legalistic sort of fixed uh, all or nothing us or them mindset. And I just feel like that's sort of and, and, and in doing that, it can be like if if changing my mind about one of these issues of culture or politics threatens my big narrative, well, I'm never going to do it. I'm locked in, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think it becomes self-defining and self-reinforcing. And I also feel like then when we do that, we become just like these Pharisees whose stuff happens right in front of us and we don't see it because we've, or we see it in a completely different way. Uh, and that's sort of, I mean, so that's the Pharisees are sort of on the outside. Uh, but then you get the disciples that you said, they're sort of on the inside and they don't see it in a different sense, perhaps. So let me just continue this, finish this passage here. So that happens, uh, you know, the disciples cross the, or the Jesus crossed the other side of the disciples and, <clears throat> and, uh, the disciples have forgotten to bring bread. This is verse 14, except for one loaf of the head with them in the boat. Be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. <laughs> the 
aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, and this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Uh, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke up the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke up the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? <laughs> and it's the same. I mean, so these are Jesus's followers, but it's still the same. It's the same kind of thing that's going on where it's happening. They're part of it happening. And yet they don't quite get it. Um, and I do think one of the differences is they don't want to run out of bread. Um, <laughs> you know, they don't want to be hungry. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and so that's really like, oh, well, we're going to, you know, I don't know, we're going to eat bread. And, and Jesus is like, okay, you've got the bread of life with you, the guy that could take this loaf and feed an, you know, an infinite number of people. You've just seen it happen. You were part of it happening twice. Why would you think I'm talking about being worried about having no bread? Uh, you, you, you know, it's again, they're part of it, but sort of, but missing the whole point. Um, and it's easy, you know, again, Pharisees or disciples, but we can be like either side <clears throat> and be a part of something and kind of completely miss the point or completely it, later on, it's almost as if that didn't happen or we didn't remember it or, or whatever. Um, so I don't know, you know, this may be people on the outside of faith this way, people on the inside of faith this way, or, you know, I don't know what the, you know, what the dichotomy is in these two things, but it feels like there's two different sort of verses of the same song. Uh, yeah, where, it feels like maybe, and then you can finish your thought, maybe the Pharisees don't actually, they definitely don't want right, right. to, you know, let a sign change their mind. They're, and the disciples may be more just complete ignorance. They may want to try to get it, they're just not getting it. They just don't get it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it could be, it's similar to us maybe when, I don't know, God provides and then we're worried five minutes later that he's not going to provide or God answers prayer. And then we kind of forget that. And we're, you know, I don't exactly know. I think there's a lots of different ways that, that we experience the same sort of thing um, in it. But I think it's the same it's the same phenomenon where we understand things a certain way and it's really hard to reevaluate it in sort of a heavenly eternal mindset. Uh, and I think it, to me, it speaks to the continual need to be in this reevaluation process. Like we don't just change our mind and then we get everything right after that. You know, I, I get it. Jesus is Lord. He's the Messiah he can do all things. So I understand it at this moment of time, I need to sort of continue to reevaluate life going forward in that light so that I can continue to understand things or else I'll sort of drift away. So the, you know, hence the need for spiritual rhythms and <clears throat> daily weekly spiritual rhythms, because I'm going to drift along and be caught up in the understanding that's all around me, perhaps.
mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, you know, that's sort of what I, that, that's the question I'm asking myself is where do I miss the point? How do I miss the point? Because I think we all probably miss the point for here and there somehow. And then what's my process for trying to figure that out and how open am I to change my mind? Uh, that's the sort of like, I don't know, that's what I'm kind of doing with it. I don't know which, you know, how you're processing uh, that, but it seems tied in some sense, it seems tied to different people's understanding of the world around us where we look at the same group of facts and we see different things. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm tending to think, you know, when we talk about our, our mindset, we, we mean more than thoughts, but we often don't say that. Um, so when we say mindset, people go right to just how you think. But I think you and I track on this. It's it's not just the way you think. There are deep seated motives um, in your mind that are that are maybe guiding or controlling your thoughts. And mm-hmm. if you're going to have any type of uh, shifting in your thought pattern or process, you, you have to be aware. I did a small class on the Enneagram, uh, last night. And again, the whole point of the Enneagram is to, to be aware of your motives and be aware of what's driving you and why you're thinking like this. And so, you know, the, so the core drivers there are fear or anger, uh, anxiety or image protecting your image. And if we don't know what's driving us, um, then, I would argue we're, we're never really going to be able to change or be transformed. It'll be a surface level transformation. Um, and, and if we're going to be able to carry the gospel well in this shifting world and it's shifting fast and I get it, it's scary. But if we don't know that fear is driving us or anxiety is driving us, um, then I would say we're just going to get locked in a smaller and smaller um, in a more binary mindset mm-hmm. what what richard Rohr calls the this is the ego it's all either or it's all black or white it's them and us and we're right and they're wrong and that way you start life like that but you don't transition into a spiritually mature person unless you grow past that mindset i think yeah i think that's that's very helpful i like that because it's you know what what is my motivation to believe or to think or to understand things this way uh, what's my driver what am i what motivates me and if you can you know, it's easy to step back and look at the pharisees and say their whole life is constructed around something that jesus is blowing up so they're very motivated not to see it not to understand it. <laughs> yeah, that's good that's really right? good um, yeah there was that one fear of they the the leader of the sanhedrin i think you know if we let him keep doing this the romans will come and take our religion away i feel like that's a very fitting everything yeah yeah but you hear the same you know i don't i'm not trying to get political and i don't think people care what my political beliefs are but i hear the same sort of totalizing language about politics now Mm -hmm. that either the president is totally evil and you know we must resist him even you know borrow some untruths here or there we must resist him or all is lost you know we will lose our democracy or the president is totally good and we must be with him and be loyal to him or 
we'll lose our democracy. Um, And there's no room for, he does good things, he does bad things, I suppose. I don't have to have a personal belief about him. Um, I don't have to be, my identity does not have to be tied up with what I believe about the current president. And nobody would say that. Nobody would say my identity is tied up, right? But but these totalizing, like I want to understand the world and the more uncertain and crazy the world gets, the more I'm driven to you. Give me a box to put everything in. And without it, I'm super anxious and I'm not aware of that or I'm angry at what's happening to our country or whatever. And I don't, doesn't mean you don't have to form opinions about the president if you live in America or whatever. It just means be, be aware of what's driving you and what's going to cause you to view everything in one light or to view everything in a completely opposite light when it doesn't have to be the case. It probably isn't the case that there's stuff in the middle and either way, however you decide, my identity is not bound up in this decision, that my identity is in Christ, in God's people, in his church. And instead, what we get is people dividing in the church because they're, mm-hmm. in a sense, elevating the political identity over an eternal identity um, because they seem to be all bound up together. And I think it's the sense we don't get, we say we, this is what defines us, but we, we don't, when a push comes to shove and we might be running out of bread, now I, I have to reach for something that's more familiar and concrete or something. Uh, and I think it's a very, it can be a very dangerous thing to us spiritually because it will drive us to identify with the wrong things, to identify with the wrong narrative and therefore to be distracted from my mission, identity, to be divided from God's people, disunified, angry, anxious, when we're supposed to be people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, unified on God's mission. And all of these secondary narrative things are getting in the way of all of that, and we don't see it. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see it, and it's it almost feels like, um, you know, someone tempting, someone agitating you, tempting you to react, and we've held out for a while, but now we're just going to join the fray. Let's let's mm-hmm. just join the fray, and I I, I think, you know, maybe maybe this is helpful to in this time. It's just back to the basics. Let's back to the basics. When when I was listening to a podcast the other day and Brene Brown said in 2020 for her, it, she just had to get back to the basics. Eat well, sleep well, move well. And that's very basic. But mm-hmm. as Christians, I think, well, let's get back to the basics. What does faithfulness look to Jesus look like? What does it mean to be a member of the, the church? What does it mean to be missional in this world? And as you mentioned, the fruit of the spirit unity in the church. These are all, they're all basic things, spiritual rhythms. I feel like we've lost our way and we've joined the fray. Um, and I'm not saying that the conversation is not important. The conversation is incredibly important. Um, and yet I think we've, I think we've become a, a bit blinded, almost like the Pharisees here and the disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, I feel like we've lost our way in a sense, if we're in mm-hmm. that yeah, I think that's right. And I think that one of the things that I believe is 
we are almost bound to lose our way unless we keep re-engaging the big story as the big story, unless we keep re-engaging God's people, God's mission, God's church, because we're so surrounded by everything else, even if we don't watch the news or cable news, it's, you know, social media or people that we talk to or, or whatever. Um, and so that's, I think, the maybe silver lining, maybe the redemptive note that hopefully people will respond to these crazy times and get back to basics spiritually. And that's, you know, hopefully we can encourage people to do that. And hopefully we can exemplify that uh, for people as well. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of this year, you know, one of the things I started doing is I'm going to walk through the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, which sounds bless you, awesome. You know. <laughs> yeah, it does sound awesome. Uh, it does sound awesome. Um, but it's this. It's not something I normally do, but it's one of these reformed documents that kind of walk through the Christian faith and you know, sort of in a question and answer um, format. And um, it's interesting because the it's sort of you know it reminds you of things and recenters you and drives you to the scriptures that are behind these statements, you know, and the first one is what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but I belong wholly body and soul to Jesus Christ, my mm-hmm. savior and redeemer and King. And I think that fundamental identity should, she like, I am not my own. I belong to him. I'm part of his people, part of his mission. I can't run around willy nilly and do it, do whatever I want, think whatever I want. Um, and then this, this last week, you know, it was basically how, you know, you know how do we, I don't remember the question exactly, but you know, what does it mean uh, to do that? And it's basically, you know, love the Lord your God with your, all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we're not loving our neighbor very well. And I think to the point that we're making here talking about, I don't think we are loving the Lord with all of our mind very well, that we're not disciplining ourselves to love the truth for the sake of the truth, because he is the truth and we're bound to that. And instead we believe things that aren't true because they fit our narrative. And in that, I think that's not, you know, I think that's something that believers in 2021, if we're not disciplined to love the Lord with all of our mind, we're going to get distracted. We're going to get off course. We're going to get anxious. We're going to get angry. You know, hmm. we're going to get lost. Um, and so that's sort of what I've been thinking about as 2021 starts and the rhythms that I'm, that I'm in. And, you know, uh, I, it's in a way, it's a, a way to help me kind of get back to basics spiritually. So that's kind of what I'm, what I'm doing. Uh, and so I think maybe we can leave, leave our listeners with, you know, that encouragement, Chad's questions, what is, what is getting back to basic look like for you this year? How do you do that in such a way that you can love the Lord with all your mind and be identified by and see who you really are in the biblical bigger narrative and not else so that we don't elevate these lesser narratives up to that totalizing level. Um, and so we can be people of grace and people of peace. So I'm going to leave it there. Uh, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.